Psalm 90 deals with the reality that we all face, the brevity of life. Contrasting God's eternity with human transitoriness and confessing that man's days pass away in God's wrath, the psalmist prayed that the compassionate God would give his people success for their labors and joy for their sorrows. Psalm 90 begins and ends on a note of confidence, but in between it wrestles with two great human problems. Since Genesis 3, sin and death have affected humans. Taking these problems together, Psalm 90 asks how sinful mortals can relate to the eternal holy God. And so as we look at Psalm 90, we'll compare and contrast the transitory man with the eternal God. Weiser observes this, he says, Here a man with the mature experience of old age looks back on human life and against the background of the eternal being of God apprehends its nature and its ultimate coherence. According to the superscription, this psalm is a prayer of Moses, the man of God. We can clarify that by Deuteronomy 33 and verse 1, where he is again called the man of God. While the occasion of this writing is unknown, the period of the wilderness wanderings, when a generation of Israelites perished in the desert, readily suggests itself as the background for this psalm. And since it is written by Moses, this is the oldest of the 150 psalms. As we look at this contrast between the transitory man and the eternal God, we're going to look at the frailty of man in verses 1 through 12, and then in verses 13 through 17, the finality of God. He begins in verse 1, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were born, where you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn man back into dust and say, Return, O children of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday, when it passes by, or as a watch in the night. You have swept them away like a flood. They fall asleep. In the morning they are like grass which sprout anew. In the morning it flourishes and sprouts anew. Towards evening it fades and withers away. For we have been consumed by your anger and by your wrath. We have been dismayed. You have placed our iniquities before you our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days have declined in your fury. We have finished our years like a sigh. As for the days of our life, they contain seventy years, or if due to strength, eighty years. Yet their pride is but labor and sorrow. For soon it is gone, and we fly away. Who understands the power of your anger and your fury, according to the fear that is due you? So teach us to number our days, that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. In verse 1, the psalmist addresses God directly, Lord, Adonai, you have been our dwelling place, our refuge in all generations. Here's a great foundational reality that is confessed. Throughout history, God has been a home, a dwelling place to his people. See, God is not some tribal deity because he exists before the mountains were born. Even before he gave birth to the earth and the world, God existed. God is God because he's the creator who has given the universe being. And the life of creation is always derived from him and him alone. There should never be a confusion between God and humankind. He is the creator and we are the creature. He is the potter and we are the clay. We have no independent existence. And since we cannot create ourselves, we must submit to God who is God. From the confession of God as the center of one's universe and as the eternal creator, 
The psalmist now turns to man, to human beings. Now we must always see ourselves in the light of God. In the light of who God is, the problem of humanity is properly expounded in verses 3 through 12. And verse 3 gives us the thesis, God turns man to dust and at the same time calls him to return or repent. We're all heading back to dust. Now that goes back to Genesis chapter 3 when God cursed man because of man's sin and said from dust you were created and from dust you will return. So the idea is God is going to bring us to an end. Okay, It's appointed unto man once to die and after this the judgment. And that's why because we're all facing death at some point or another we are all called to return or to repent. Now, the context in which we are crushed into dust is the sweep of time, verse 4. God says a millennium, a thousand years, is like yesterday when it's past. As Peter puts it, with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day, 2 Peter 3.8. Again, a thousand years is like a watch in the night. Now, a watch in the night is four hours long. A thousand years to, uh, to you and I is but four hours to God. Again, it, these are... Uh, allegorical statements. There are statements of comparison. That's why the word like is used. It's not saying that uh, one day is equal to a thousand years. It's one day is like a thousand years. It's a contrast What to mark the difference between what time appears to us and how time appears to God. See, to God, time is nothing from the vantage point of eternity. Within this panorama of time, though, our life speeds away. It's carried about like a flood. It's rushing away. Furthermore, we are like asleep. That is, we're gone overnight. Or to change the metaphor in verse 6, we're like grass, which after the rain springs up in the morning, it flourishes and it grows up, but soon it's cut down. And once it's cut down, it's dead by nightfall. You see, we look at the grass and we, we say, oh, the grass looks great, the grass looks its best. But the grass doesn't stay green forever. It eventually dies, particularly when it's cut off, which is an allusion to death. As Isaiah says, all flesh is, as, is grass, and as the grass, it withers, Isaiah 46 to 7. The psalmist continues in verse 7 that we have been consumed, that's destroyed, by your anger. Now it's interesting, the root of the noun anger is nose. And so when God is angry, he snorts like a wild horse. You can cross that to uh, Psalm eighteen fifteen. The psalmist continues, and by your wrath we are dismayed. See, the, the terror of God's wrath, is this dismay or this terror is our response to the impending judgment of God. Now, in the Old Testament, God's wrath is clearly seen in the plagues, for example, in periods of drought and famine, or in the avenging of enemy armies. And we see, as Isaiah 10 verse 5 tells us, that he is the Lord of history. He'll use the nations even as his rod of anger. And God's wrath, make no mistake, is always his moral response to disobedience, as Romans 1.17 tells us. And so the psalmist continues, you have set our iniquities before you. See, God would not be angry, God would not be snorting at us if we had not sinned. But because we sin, he's angry. And in his anger, he, has, he is full of wrath. We've, he, you set our iniquities before you. God not only judges our public and moral violations of his will, he will address the sins of our heart, our secret sins. 
they will be exposed in the light of God's countenance, or literally exposed in the light of God's face. Even the sins that we've blocked and denied will be revealed to God. His light dispels all of our darkness. As well, God's wrath is not merely a particular response to a particular sin. The psalmist laments in verse 9, For all our days have declined in your fury. We finish, that's we come to our end, we end or complete our years like a sigh, a moan, a groan. You know, this sigh here is a sigh of grief. It's that final fleeting sound, a last breath, if you will. The shortness of life is asserted in verse 10. Here, human life span goes to 70 years, or even 80 if by reason of strength. You know, the typical human lifespan is 70 to 80 years. Now, there's some who get beyond that, uh, but in generally speaking, this is a uh, print general principle here to, again, clarify the shortness or the brevity of life. And our life comes to an end. Why? Because of the sin nature. The psalmist continues with some cynicism. So why the effort? You know, the years boast only labor, only trouble. Again, referencing the curse of Genesis 3.17 and 19. The years boast only sorrow, and then death comes. We're cut off. We fly away. You know, we're terminal, and not, not only because of our mortality, but we're terminal because of God's wrath. And so, you know, the psalmist asks, so what's the effort? You know, why should we go on? Why should we do anything different other than to eat, drink, be merry, because tomorrow we die? The psalmist asks, who knows the power of your anger? The implied answer is no one. We continue to sin and we whistle as if, you know, we're in the dark and nobody can see. But the fear of you, the fear of God is due because of his wrath. And it is this wrath, as we have seen, that turns us back to dust. Now the moral here is given in verse 12. All of this meditation on our mortality, all of this meditation on God's wrath against sin is designed for our instruction. The psalmist Moses says to God, teach us to number our days. Literally make us to know the number of our days. By keeping track of the calendar, we will know the truth of this teaching. The point is, don't engage in some infantile fantasy that you're somehow omnipotent or immortal. You're not. You're not omnipotent. You're not all-powerful. You're weak. And you're not immortal. You have an expiration date. And when we understand how weak we are, when we understand that we are all facing an expiration date, it will give us a heart of wisdom. All of a sudden, we will begin to number our days. We will begin to say, hey, what am I doing with my day that's going to glorify God? What, not, well, I'm going to do what I want, and, you know, if it gets God's wrath, it gets God's wrath. That's not numbering your days. That's futile. All you're doing is rushing to the day of your demise. We need to understand our days and receive wisdom as his light shines upon us. So we see here uh, the frailty of humanity. We're frail. We're, we're not powerful. We're not omnipotent. We're not immortal. We're mortal. And we're, we all have an expiration date. We're all heading back to dust. And so because we know that, we need to make sure that we're spending our days striving to obey God and please God and glorify him in all that we say and do. Verse 13 to 17, we see now the finality of God. 
Do return, O Lord. How long will it be? And be sorry for your servants. O satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindness, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days you have afflicted us and the years we have seen evil. Let your work appear to your servants and your majesty to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and confirm for us the work of our hands. Yes, confirm the work of our hands. The psalmist implores the Lord to return or turn in verse 13. Now, here's the play on words. Previously, you know, the psalmist was dealing with the frailty of man and challenged that man needs to repent. Well, now he's using the same term and applying it to God. He's imploring the Lord to return in verse 13. As God called us to repent of our sin in verse 3, now the psalmist is calling upon the Lord to repent of his wrath or to turn from his wrath. So we see that repentance is a turning from sin. He's asking God to turn from his wrath. The bold cry is immediately followed by the question, how long? You know, how long is this season of wrath going to go on for? How long are we going to be under the judgment of God? The season of wrath must end. They, the, Moses says the burden is too great to be borne any longer. And so the call to return is followed by a call for compassion. As the sovereign king, God, he says, Moses says, God, have pity on your servants. And this compassion includes mercy or covenant love, which brings satisfaction in verse 14. The psalmist asks for it earlier in the morning. In other words, Lord, bring it now. Bring the mercy now. And when we get, receive your mercy, it will be that we will rejoice. That's we'll give a ringing cry, we'll be glad, we'll exalt all our days. There'll be an outburst of worship when God's love is restored. You see, when we've sinned and we experience God's wrath because of our sin, and then we confess our sin, we repent of our sin, we turn from our sin, God then turns his wrath from us and restores us to the place of blessing. When that occurs, the, our response is to, to burst forth in praise and glory, worship of God. The psalmist asks that God will now make his people glad, again verse 14, to the extent in which he afflicted, literally the words humbled them, through the years in which they saw evil. In verse 16, he asks for God's work to appear or be seen by his servants. This work is the comprehensive grace in their midst. Moses saying, let them see your grace. Where our prayer needs to be, God, let us see your grace in our life. And he requests that the next generation might see God's glory. You know, not only should we be praying for grace to be seen in our lives, but are we praying for the next generation to see God's glory, to see the true opinion of who God is and what he has done. The psalm ends with a call for the favor of Yahweh, the Lord Yahweh, our God. It began with Adonai, it ends with Yahweh. To, and he's asking for the favor or the grace, the blessing of God to be upon his people. This favor ultimately is the favor of his presence. This gives the basis for the emphatically repeated final request, establish, that is make firm, make secure, the work of our hands for us. See friends, we're only going to prosper in the presence of the Lord. As we build for him, our work will endure. And when God rebukes us for our sin, we should feel frail and transitory. But when he blesses us with his favor, understand that our work is worthwhile. As Paul put it in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So Psalm 90 presents the Lord as the eternal God who birthed the world. He's eternal in contrast to us who are transitory beings like the grass that sprouts and withers in a day. 
The Lord is holy, and his holiness causes him to be angry against the sins of humanity. However, he is also a God of faithful love, covenant love, who has compassion on his people and will establish the work of our hands. My friends, life is short and often hard. But in the eternal God, we can find true life and hope. As the Lord has helped us and his people in ages past, so he can continue to be our hope for years to come. We then must not presume to live as though we are eternal, but rather we must be stewards of the brief time that we have been given in this life by God. The constant change and flux that we experience in this world should continuously drive us to live for the unchanging God, because only life for him will last. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, Lord, we thank and praise you for us time to open your word and to learn from it, Father, to see this comparison between us as transitory beings and you as the eternal divine being. And uh, Lord, we ought to be humbled by it. Uh, Father, we confess that we are weak, we are mortal, we are powerless, Father, and that is because we are sinful. And because we are sinners, we are under your wrath. But I thank you, Father, that even in the midst of your wrath, you sent your Son to redeem us from our sin. You sent him to pay the price that we could be rescued from the marketplace of sin. That, Father, we no longer are servants of sin, but now servants of you. That, Father, Lord God, we thank and praise you that we've experienced that tender, compassionate covenant love. That, Father, the works that we do now aren't in vain, but rather are worthy because you have made them worthy so long as they are done for your honor and for your glory. Lord, continue to show us your grace. Continue to uh, minister to us, Father. Lord, we do confess that we sin. And uh, Lord, uh, I pray that when we do, that we would be quick to humble ourselves uh, before your wrath, before your, your nose begins to snort, that we might uh, turn from that sin, Father, confess it and forsake it, so that we might not lose the hand of blessing. We pray in these things in your Son's name. Amen.